0: On a hot summer night, would you offer your throat to the wolf with the red roses?
1: Will they listen on iTunes? Yes. Will they listen on SoundCloud? Yes. Will they go to the Facebook page? Yes. Okay, what about Twitter? Will they follow us on there? Yes. Wow, you sure are generous, Mr. Faceless Voice Guy. Can I get a new co-host? Yes. Okay, and what about... Yes. So you're going to give me all this for free? Yes. Then yes. On a hot summer night would you offer your throat to the wolf with the red roses? Yes. I bet you say that to all the boys. Wait, what? Welcome back to your regularly scheduled program, The Film Adaptation Podcast, the show about movies. In contrast, I'm your host, Jared Preswidge, and joining me is my co host, Bodie Cutler. Say hello to the audience, Bodie.
0: Hello, audience. I'm Bodie. <laughs> nice to be here, everybody. How are you, Jared?
1: I'm good, I'm good. I'm pretty keen to get into this topic, honestly. This yeah, me exciting.
0: too. But before we do that, Jared, of course, we have seen some movies recently. There have been some out. Now, we both saw Bohemian Rhapsody today, today of recording, for a little peek behind the curtain. Uh, but, Jared, you've seen something that I haven't seen, and that's A Star Is Born.
1: Yes, The La La Land of 2018. It's definitely a front runner for plenty of Oscars at this point. I don't know whether that's because the year's not as strong, or it just came out early and people are hailing it as that. But yeah, overall, I thought it was it was good. It was especially impressive as a directorial debut. This is directed by Bradley Cooper and also starring him and Lady Gaga. But like I said, I thought it was good. But like Lady Gaga was fine in the movie. I I, I would think Bradley Cooper and Sam Elliott. I think they're shoo-ins for the Oscar uh, of actor and supporting actor. But my main problem with it is. That it has a lot to say and it just spreads itself way too thin. And I think that's because Bradley Cooper is an inexperienced director. It has a lot to say, like whether it's like alcohol and drug problems, the family history between him and Sam Elliott, the love story about two main characters, and also <laughs> it has a lot to say about how terrible pop music is these days, which I was like, true. True. <laughs> true. It, it is really bad. Yep. I agree. And it was it was done by Lady Gaga as well. Uh, pretty self-referential. Uh, well, she's
0: always been a bit outside the box Lady Gaga, I think, pop music-wise. Yeah.
1: yeah, I'm not really familiar with Lady Gaga, but she did a pretty good, good job singing. And also acting, like I said, it was just a little bit spotty, but she'll only get better as she continues with her acting career. So it just overall, it it's spreads itself a little too thin for me. I think a lot of people will enjoy it. Um, I saw a lot of teary eyes in the, in the theater, but yeah, I, I would recommend people go see it, I guess, if you're into that kind of genre, but yeah, that's all I have to say about that.
0: Was Lady Gaga a better actor in this movie than Rihanna was in Battleship?
1: Ooh. Well, Rihanna had a lot better lines, <laughs> <So>. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yes, yes, I would say okay.
0: so. All right. And now let's get on to the one that we've both seen, and that's Bohemian Rhapsody. I'm going to go first. I love this movie. I got exactly what I wanted from this movie. I got... The perfect mix for me of character and Queen sing-along with some heart and some real joy in this movie. I was having a good time the whole time, of course, until some very tragic moments in Freddie Mercury's life in his later years. I was having a great time.
1: Jared, what did you think? Yeah, speaking of sing-along, I thought I was in the sing-along screening. (laughs) There were people (laughs) singing in the theatre behind me when I was watching it. And I was like, "Mm." (laughs) hmm. But yeah, I thought it was a perfectly competent film. There was nothing really wrong with it. I just thought it was a very commercial kind of film, and I didn't really want that, to be honest. I wanted a really deep dive into one of the best frontmen of all time, Freddie Mercury, very tragic figure, like many frontmen are in bands. But my main problem with the movie is that you can't really fit the legendary band's entire lifespan into two hours and 15 minutes. You're bound to miss, miss something. You're bound to miss a lot that would be really good for a movie. So you watch a lot of documentaries, and they're, like, about a specific point in a band's life, whether it be, like, Gimme Shelter or Beatles documentary by Ron Howard that came out recently, and that was just, like, the early days, I think. I wanted a bit more focus, but the movie's a lot of fun. I enjoyed watching it while I was in the theater, and I feel like if you're just there to listen to some Queen music and Rami Malek, he's very good as as Freddie Mercury. He was the best part of this movie, and he stole the show. He didn't really have much competition, but... (laughs) Yeah, I thought he was really good. So, it was a good movie. Uh, It wasn't exactly what I was looking for, but I'm sure a lot of people will enjoy it.
0: Yeah, and um, something to think about is this movie's not getting brilliant reviews at the moment, and that's fair enough, because the movie isn't setting any houses on fire with cinematography or storytelling. It's giving you what you can expect from a movie like this, though, however. I mean, most movies that have come out in this vein in the last decade have generally focused on an overall, look, not delving in too deep, I mean, there's another one coming out early next year, um, Elton John, I believe, called yep. Rocketman. Uh, it was the, called Rocket
1: Man. yeah, with uh, Taron
0: Egerton. Taron Egerton.
1: They look kind of similar, they look pretty similar. Um, they do. Kind of feels, yeah.
0: If you like the music of the person who's about, you're going to like the movie. It's, it's not breaking any records, it's not going to win any Oscars, but I had a great time, I really liked the movie, it gave me what I wanted, and I'm really happy I got to see it. Yeah, it was a greatest hits kind of movie. And there yeah, were plenty of so. scenes
1: where they're like, what's that riff? Da, 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 another one. But yeah, like yep. they did that with multiple songs. But, you know, you want a little insight into the band, whether it was accurate or not. It's fun. It's a fun movie.
0: Yeah. All right, Jared. Well, let's get on to our main topic of today. And we're going to be discussing some cult classics, some cult films. Now, this is a, a heavy topic with lots of movies that we could have picked from. Jared, talk to me a little bit about cult movies before we get into this.
1: Cult movies usually don't hit their stride immediately, whether that be critically or box office wise, but they find life later, whether it's on DVD or cable, and we picked some two good ones here. I I think the best of, it's not a genre, like a category of film. it's plenty to choose from, you know, The Room, (laughs) (laughs) Wet Hot American Summer, but I'm happy with the two we picked.
0: Me too, so let's get into the first one, and that is Rocky Horror Picture Show. From 1975 you've seen all kinds of movies but you've never seen anything like the rocky horror picture show so as mentioned rocky horror picture show is a 1975 movie directed by jim Sharman. and jared this movie is the longest running movie in theaters ever
1: It is the cult movie.
0: It is the start, the be all and end all of cult movies. And you had never seen it before.
1: No, but um, growing up, we did have the videotape, and I would always see it while scrambling for something else. And I was always like, I don't think I'm meant to watch that.
0: (laughs) You're (laughs) too young young and impressionable to watch Rocky Horror. But now, as a grown man, you've watched Rocky Horror Picture Show. What did you think of the movie? This is weird. It was weird. It is a weird movie.
1: There's so many scenes that are perfect for a packed midnight screening kind of cult movie. There's so many, oh, here it comes, kind of moments Mm -hmm. that would pay, like, with an audience. And this movie was made for that specific purpose, and they make that abundantly clear from the beginning. The opening song, uh, which is science fiction double feature, which is my favorite song. I'm sure we'll talk about the music later, but that is my favorite song. And as a rule, you can't really think like that while making a movie, but the filmmaker's pulled it off i don't know how
0: (laughs) yeah i think they did a fantastic job you know this movie is a parody of different genres and different ideas all brought together to create one wacky 90 minutes of of film
1: this movie is so weird and i'm sure it was even weirder for the mid-70s, <laughs> I'm sure. the In the time warp number, I noticed a bunch of the extras were looking around like, what the fuck, what the fuck am I doing? Like They were just <laughs> and trying to like stay into it, but they were all out of time, and they were just like, what the hell? Rocky Horror, it's such a confident film, and that's what struck me the most about it while I was watching it. The first half of the movie starts as a kind of Frankenstein horror movie, and then it changes into a schlocky science fiction kind of thing, and at first I was like, huh? Aliens? But when the end credits played with science fiction double feature again, I got what they were doing. So as you said, it's kind of a parody slash tribute to horror and science fiction films from the 30s to the 70s. And I think it's even more of a landmark because it comes just at the end of that kind of... So movies like Bride of Frankenstein and The Thing from Another World, they were the norm, but then films like Halloween and a- An Alien came out a couple years later that ushered in a new direction. So it's pretty interesting.
0: Yeah, I think it is really... A cultural phenomenon, this movie, because as you mentioned, it comes right at the end of this incredible run of of these very particular kinds of horror movies, and these very particular kinds of tropes, in movies. Very interesting to point out, as you said, that Alien and Halloween, Jaws, movies like these, they all came out not long after this. Jaws, obviously, less so, because there's no shark in this movie, but I love this movie. I love everything about it. I love how kooky and ridiculous it is. I love all of the characters. I love how dumb all of the characters are and how just fun everything is, foreground and background. Everyone is having a good time. Even if the extras in the background don't know what's going on, (laughs) they're still clapping along or clicking their fingers and looking like they're trying to belong. And I think that's sort of the point as well.
1: Yeah, speaking of dumb... um Brad and Janet. <laughs> they're the leads, I guess. And following them, they're pretty entertaining characters. I didn't know Susan Sarandon was in this. She plays this sort of square. Well, they both do, but she has some really funny lines. Like, one of my favorites was, Yes, it's raining. <laughs> I didn't really expect this movie to be so funny, like that part where it's like, Janet, Dr. Scott, Janet, Brad, Brad, Rocky. <laughs> it was so funny. And oh. while we're speaking about the cast, we got to mention Tim Curry.
0: Of course, absolutely brilliant, iconic performance in this movie. He's just genius.
1: The character of Doctor Frankenfurter, he's probably the most iconic image from the movie, I think, and for good reason. Um, yeah, absolutely.
0: I he mean, was, he stands out.
1: He was very entertaining. His his singing voice was also was really good. The music, I love the music. We we yeah. re- we reviewed Sing Street a couple of weeks ago, and I was listening to that soundtrack, but I'm listening to Rocky Horror soundtrack as well. What's your favorite? What's your favorite song?
0: Oh, I mean. Time Warp has always been such a big hit. Sweet Transvestite as well is another one for me. Really gets to show off of Tim Curry's range and acting and singing capabilities, which I think he does brilliantly as well.
1: These songs I had heard of, but I didn't know they were from Rocky Horror. (laughs) There
0: were a bunch of these songs where I was like,
1: "Oh, oh, it's from this? Okay. So musicals are the only genre that I'm not really a fan of. My brain doesn't really compute how characters can just stop what they're doing and sing and dance around. (laughs) <laughs> um, and then just go back to normal again. I just nev- It never computed with me. But this film, being the way it is, so flamboyant, it adds to it, and I like the little breaks for the music. Yeah, I liked it a
0: lot. It breaks up the, the story and all of the crazy goings-on quite nicely to have some of the music in this, especially ones that are, that are so easy to sing and dance to and jump along to and just really just enjoy because you don't want a movie that's giving you breaks in action or momentum to slow you down with music or unnecessary edits or anything like that. But you really do feel like the music is part of the movie and it does that very well.
1: It pushes the story forward. Very important parts of the movie happens during these sequences like when Meatloaf comes in.
0: Yes. (laughs) Great character. Before his first studio album, Jared, you were saying?
1: Yeah, he was in the original theatre production and he reprised his role for the movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he, he was really good. His song was great. Um, I'm a big fan of Meatloaf.
0: Meatloaf or Lady Gaga from A Star Is Born? Mm. Meatloaf. (laughs) Alright, I agree with you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) There's a bunch of other stuff that if you're a big film nerd, you will grasp onto. Like, at the end when Rocky carries Frankenfurter's body up the RKO Pictures Tower like King Kong. If you don't know, RKO Pictures is is an old production company that released many of the old movies that Rocky Horror is paying tribute to. Stuff like that. There's actually a lot of depth to this movie that a lot of people considered schlock
0: at the time yeah no i i totally agree and that's uh one of the benefits of a, a movie having so many chances to be viewed again and again and again you really sort of get to dig deep into the the deeper goings-on that maybe you miss the first time or even sometimes the first two times that you watch a movie it started this kind
1: of viewing experience where you go in and you shout at the screen and the room kind of did the same thing a couple a couple decades later where they mm. you know throw spoons at the screen and and stuff like that. It'll be really fun. I, I would be interested in going to a Rocky Horror screening, honestly, mm. but it still plays in New York,
0: right? Yeah, New York, L.A., pretty much all over the U.S. They have weekly viewings and dressing up and, and things like that. You know, um, the only thing really... I mean, the room, the room is big on that as well, but the only in my lifetime and my time as a film goer that's ever gotten close to me for anything like that is actually the Harry Potter movies. You know, when you, when we were younger, we went to the openings of Harry Potter movies and everyone was dressed up. Not me. Everyone except Jared was dressed up.
1: I wasn't a nerd. Um. Oh, well,
0: (laughs) some Um, of us were. (laughs) Well, I
1: dressed up for the Star Wars prequels, but, um. Well, see, there you go. And how'd
0: those turn out for you, Jared? Great. Did they really? No. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, enough on Star Wars. I want to get into our next film.
1: Yes, and I made you watch it for the first time, and that is Office Space.
0: I don't think I'm going to go anymore. One of these days, I, I, I just I just kick this piece off. I'm thinking now it might be more fun to just get fired. And I've always wondered what that would take.
1: Oh, Peter, listen. Adam. Office Space is directed by Mike Judge, who you may know from Beavis and Butthead and Silicon Valley, and it stars Ron Livingston as just a man trying to get by. In his office job, he hates his life, he hates his upper, upper management, and I would say, Bodie, that this is the most relatable movie of all time. What, what were your thoughts on it?
0: It is very relatable. It's This movie is hilarious. It's absolutely brilliant. And for the life of me, I can't understand why it was so unsuccessful at the cinemas in the first place. Do you have any insight on why that might be the case, Jared?
1: Yeah, I'm glad you asked, because it's really funny that Office Space was not... It wasn't treated well by studio executives. This whole movie is about not being treated well by higher-ups, and the movie about not being treated well by higher-ups was not treated well by higher-ups. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> the tra- Interesting, yeah. The trailers were terrible. Um, Mike Judge, he's been interviewed. He hates the trailers. Um, he hates the poster, the poster with all the post-it notes on the guy, and oh, yes. work sucks. It's yep. pretty bad. You can't really market a movie like this, like American Pie and stuff like that, that have like these outrageous gag moments that you can grasp onto. So that's why the movie failed. But thankfully it was played on Comedy, Comedy Central over in America a bunch and people found it on there and then people bought it on blu rays. I'd say it's pretty successful now and that's our theme of the show, cult movies that find their life after their first one.
0: And Office Space being given a second chance is probably the um, the best thing that could have happened to it because in recent times a lot more droll and setup style comedy has made a return to, to bigger comedy-style movies. I think of um, Game Night, a movie that came out this year, as a good example of, of something that uses quite similar humor very effectively. And um, yeah, Office Space did a brilliant job. Every character is funny. Everything works really well. The movie's nothing like the trailer makes it out to be.
1: No, it's one of my favorite comedies. Just the opening where our main character Peter navigates his normal work day, puts you immediately on his side. Yeah, <laughs> um, just trying
0: to get even, just trying to get to the office. You just feel for him. Yeah,
1: that, that's happened to me so many times. You try and get in that other lane, and then <laughs> then it stops at the other lane you just left. Goes it gets on. faster. Uh, it's and... So annoying. And um, once he gets to work, all these crazy characters that you mentioned, like. <laughs> The woman the woman that's like, just a moment. Just a moment. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just like, oh and it and you hear her for the whole movie whenever he's in the in the office, just in the background, it's brilliant. And Peter's boss, played by Gary Cole, Bill Lumberg, iconic character.
0: Oh, he's just brilliant and
1: Yeah. You are just gonna have to Yeah, just podcast better, that'd be great. <laughs> oh my
0: there are so many things in here that I've realized I've been saying for years that are from this movie. Just as you mentioned from Rocky Horror. There were songs that you didn't realize were from Rocky Horror. There are lines, funny things in this movie that I just didn't know.
1: Like the stapler.
0: Yeah, if you could just do that, that'd be great. You know that that'd be great. Line follows him around the whole movie and it's absolutely brilliant.
1: Yeah, in the end credits you can hear him. He's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's hilarious. Um, I really like the camaraderie that Peter has with his other colleagues. It's very realistic how they connect through their shared pain. You have a yeah, you know, you're at a workplace and you're like, God. But you come together and you make good friends from being in work, if if you're lucky. But yeah, I liked everyone in this movie. Um, <laughs> just the story. The story is it's pretty loose. It's just kind of the main character bumbling around. It, you know, it involves hypnotherapy and a big scam from Superman three. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just love that scene where he gets hypnotized and the psychiatrist dies, so he can't be reversed, <laughs> and he just stays in bed. He's like, I just didn't want to. <laughs> just didn't want to.
0: Uh, and he continues to fail upwards in this movie. Everything he does to annoy his bosses or to ruin every... Or he's trying to ruin his own life. He's trying to quit. He's trying to get out of there in the most ridiculous ways possible. And he keeps getting praise. Yeah, it's No matter what he does. It's a
1: big heck you to the upper management kind of people that feel like they just fail upwards themselves um, and just treat everybody like crap. <laughs> we've all had those bosses, man. We've yeah. all had those bosses. Man. Exactly. We've all, we've all had people come in and do the interviews to see, like, what do you do here? <laughs> what do, what exactly yeah, do you do Yeah, what's
0: really going on in this? Oh, oh. The bobs. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, great. And um, a special shout-out to John C. McGinley's character as well, who is absolutely hilarious. He stole the show for yeah, me.
1: He's not he's not in it much, but that scene where Lumberg is like, yeah, I'm going to have to disagree with you there. <laughs> and he's just like, because obviously they really like Peter, and he's like... <laughs> <sighs>
0: it's a bit of the shakes
1: yeah it's um originally based off animated shorts around milton the character played by Stephen Mm. root and (laughs) he he's also one of the most iconic characters in that lundberg and milton are the two main ones that people remember
0: the reason why they're so successful and why they're so remembered is because their characters are just so well written and so funny just so funny i don't think this is a perfect movie by any means i say that way too often for a film podcast, because we don't expect every movie to be perfect, but, I mean, I really enjoyed this movie. Absolutely. Okay, if I could set the building on fire.
1: All right, so let's talk about cult films as a whole. Like we said in the beginning, there were plenty to choose from. There are a lot that I thought of, like Wet Hot American Summer. The Beavers and Butthead movie was actually one that I thought of, and I'm like, oh, wait, let's just do Office Space. <laughs> it was by the same guy. Same guy, yeah. And The Room. The Room was a big one. You would think that that would be, that and Rocky Horror, the two biggest cult movies very similar, though. That's why I didn't want to do it. And The Room has been done to death. There was a movie about the making of it, yeah. for God's sake. And so when... I thought that it wouldn't be... Well, We want to pick some other movies for this podcast.
0: Yeah, when the movie that you want to review has an award-winning movie made about it... And a book. And a book. That's when you know you don't really need to say anything else about it. It's already been done enough... We recommend The Disaster Artist, obviously. Oh, yeah, yeah. That has the film and nepotism seal of approval. <laughs> Talk to me about Wet Hot American Summer, Jared, because that is another one that has been redone in recent times, um, somewhat successfully and then somewhat unsuccessfully uh, later on. I would say it's, it's been hit or miss in the last couple of years, but going back to the original, it's great. It's absolutely great. It's everything that that generation embodies for me as someone that didn't grow up in that generation.
1: You mentioned side characters in Office Space, how they're all memorable, and that's I think that's a very important ingredient for a cult movie. Um, same with Rocky Horror, there's Riff Raff and Eddie and all those side mm. characters, and Out American Summer as well. You know, Pick Your Poison. There's so many actors that are big now. There's like Christopher Maloney and Paul Rudd. Mm. Yeah, that's a big thing for me with characters that you actually latch onto.
0: I totally agree, and that comes down to really. Good writing, I think. Oftentimes, writing is less appreciated at the time of a movie's release. Not a lot of people come out of a movie and go, that movie was written really well, or that character was written really well. If they're going to an action movie, they want to see the action. If they're going to a drama, they want to see the, the climax of a, of a setup during the movie. But not a lot of people come out talking about the the side characters of movies um, very often, which is, I think, how cult movies generally get their start, because you can latch on to something... In the background, something that makes you go back again and again. Some stories just
1: become more relevant with time. Very true. I watched Scream 3 not too long ago, and that has a big subplot about how terrible Hollywood is towards women. And (laughs) you you look at the climate now, it's definitely like it may not have been as relevant back then, but now it has a whole new meaning to it. So Wet Hot American Summer, I think the big resurgence with that is just how big all the actors are now. Yeah, Uh, very true. Paul Rudd, Elizabeth Banks... Amy Poehler, Bradley Cooper. Yeah, some movies just they just aged like wine. But Office Space and What on American Summer, they're a different kind of cult movie to Rocky Horror because it doesn't have that midnight screening kind of appeal. It found life after making no money in theaters, but on cable and DVD that's where it had its thing. Yeah. So and it's online a good movie. as well, I yeah, think, plays yeah, a big a especially big role. and because it's so good. People ended up finding it. And yeah. nowadays, there's just more avenues to get movies. And Rocky Horror is lucky because there was no internet back then. There was no <laughs> Netflix. <laughs> yeah, People had, had to actually get up and go and, and mm. see it and rely on their friend's word, I guess, to go see Rocky Horror and then um, snowball effect kind of thing.
0: Yeah, I think comedy movies especially come with a much greater chance to snowball in the the era of the internet. Growing up now, having so many comedies done well... Which is uh, a bit of a surprise, you know, there was a bit of a lull in comedies in the 90s, you know, right up until Office Space, I would say. Um, so going back, there are some Adam Sandler movies, of course, from his very early days that I really enjoy from a comedic perspective. But
1: super, super Troopers as well?
0: Yeah, That They absolutely. had that sequel,
1: um, they raised money for it on Kickstarter? Yeah, Kickstarter, yeah. yeah. That's uh, another one there.
0: Yeah, so um, having the internet as a backer for these cult movies really has elevated many of these uh, uh, these newer Properties of the '90s, like Office Space. I think uh, you know, I would have heard about people making Office Space jokes in primary school on the playground, or on MySpace, or on Facebook, or things like that. You know, you just uh... and now Milton, he's everywhere. His picture is everywhere. He's he's uh, he's made into memes. You know that that sort of that entire thing has its own subculture now that really drives forward this sort of cult style.
1: Yeah, and nostalgia is big now because. People that watched Mystery Science Theater back in the 90s are grown up now, and that had a Netflix revival as well. Hmm. And I'm very curious to see whether movies nowadays, movies and TV shows nowadays, can really be the same kind of effect, like a cult movie kind of effect. Because there's so many ways to get your movies. Like Amazon, uh, Netflix, Stan. Hulu. Hulu. DVDs? Hmm. What are those? Hmm. VHS? <sighs> That was just, there's only like two ways to get movies back in the day when we were kids and went out. CD burning? Yeah, tape over and um, you're Mm -hmm. watching a movie that you taped and for some reason the Olympics comes in (laughs) for (laughs) two minutes. You're like, what the hell? Yeah. Those are the days. But so many avenues, I don't think that cult movies can really be like they were just because like I said, there's so many different ways to get it. And if you want to find something, you'll find it.
0: Yeah. And I think that's not a bad thing. You know, um, something that has the potential, it, it's very new, I don't want to jinx it or talk about it too much, but we both saw Mandy, that's a that's a, a movie that, you know, has the, the properties to be one of these cult-style movies in a number of years, but then again, I think now a fine line is drawn between art house indie movie and cult movie. They sort of embody the same things from different eras.
1: I think that's... To do with the landscape of film these days, because there's not really mid range movies. There's either indie
0: or blockbuster. Or big budget movies, exactly. There's There's no middle ground movies getting made for 15 million, 20 million, 25 million anymore. The way that Hollywood is now, they want maximum profits, maximum bums on seats, post bums on seats in a Netflix internet world doesn't matter as much to studios anymore. It's all about the uh, the box office report on a Monday morning in the US. You know, that's that's more important for them now.
1: Well, making money for the studios is always their number one priority. It always, mm. w- always has and always will be. Always but will be. It's a lot more competition. There's so much coming at you. Who knows what the, the state of theatres will be in 15 years. Already we have Netflix coming. There's that Jungle Book movie that Andy Serkis is directing that was meant to be Warner Brothers, but now I just learned today it's coming out on Netflix.
0: What? I didn't even know that.
1: No, didn't know which part. All of that. <laughs> oh, you didn't know that he made a movie? That no, Jungle I Book? didn't
0: even know there was another Jungle Book coming.
1: No, there's so many movies that were going to come out on studios, and the studios, I guess, were like, yeah, nah, and then sold it off to Netflix, like that, um, that Cloverfield Paradox movie as well.
0: Netflix having the money and capability to make blockbuster-priced movies is insane.
1: Well, they don't really even make them; they just take them off, take them off the studios. Yeah, yeah. It's such a. so so weird, and a movie like Office Space, if it came out now, still really relevant for now, everyone. (laughs) I think.
0: People still hate their jobs, Jared.
1: Yes, they do, and they always will. And I'm just curious whether that would have had the same effect.
0: Do you think a movie like Rocky Horror, uh, a similar style, could be successful in this day and age?
1: I think so. I think Rocky Horror, like we said, is a landmark, and it kind of puts a full stop on a certain genre, and. Nostalgia is a big thing. I think a movie like this could come out to be like, remember, remember. Hmm. You know, we had um, Orson Welles' movie come out the other week. Oh
0: yes, very true. Yeah, and we've had we've had plenty of movies about popular figures come out in recent times as well. We we talked about it already with uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, but Death of Stalin is another one that came out very recently that was reasonably successful, reasonably popular.
1: Yeah, so overall, cult
0: movies, we kind of went on a
1: tangent there into a, <laughs> into the the state of, of cinema and the box office, but it's definitely a very important type of film, I think. You know, it puts kind of a, a a mirror up to how the business was back then, how the business is now. So, yeah, hopefully they keep coming, and hopefully I keep on finding some more.
0: I hope so, but I, I also hope that Hollywood stops remaking everything. It's a big phase going on at the moment. Obviously, the remakes and the redos and the the do overs, the live actions. Jared, I don't know how you feel overall about the Disney live action universe, but not really a big fan of it. I really don't care for it.
1: What you mean, like Lion King and
0: Lion King, Cinderella. Beauty and the Beast? You don't want to go? You board. don't
1: want to go see Nutcracker with me? Nutcracker and the Four and the Realms. Four realms?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I do not, Jared, if you don't mind. God. <laughs> <laughs> well, how are we going to review it for the podcast <laughs> now? <laughs> four Realms. <laughs> Oh.
1: Disney's The Nutcracker Rated PG In theaters November 2nd
0: Well guys With The Nutcracker In the Four Realms reference It's time for us To get out of here um, We're available on iTunes And wherever you get Your podcasts uh, Facebook Film and Nepotism Twitter Film Nepotism Pod Jared thank you For joining me today And for letting me do the outro This is nice of you
1: Well well whoa, well, well The outro is my thing From you Bodie Cutler And Jared Presswich. Goodbye Bye guys No I'm cutting that <laughs>